0: Welcome to The Mushroom Show, the one place you need to be to stay on top of all the cool things that are happening in the world of mushrooms. If you like mushrooms and if you like The Mushroom Show, it would mean the world to me if you went ahead and hit that like button. That really helps get the show out to more people. And consider subscribing to the channel. We just crossed 300,000 subscribers, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. The mushroom community is amazing, and I'm just so humbled and honored to be able to create content for this community. So thank you so much. In this episode, we're going going to be talking about a super iconic mushroom that is often referred to as a magic mushroom even though it contains no psilocybin and we're going to be looking at how this mushroom is being used for therapeutic purposes but more specifically how it might be useful for sleep. But first a couple of pieces of mushroom news. Now we talked about the HBO show The Last of Us in the last episode but I think it makes sense to bring it up again because everybody seems to be talking about it and everybody in my life knows me as the mushroom guy obviously so everybody I see has to say, hey, you know, have you seen The Last of Us? Have you heard about this crazy thing called cordyceps? And I'm sure a lot of you watching this show are also the mushroom person in somebody else's life, so you might be getting a lot of that too. So The Last of Us, incredibly popular, but as we mentioned previously, this can't really happen, right? It's not feasible for cordyceps mushrooms to take over the world and turn everybody into zombies. Although cordyceps is absolutely terrifying if you're a bug... (laughs) it's not really a concern if you're a human, but it does seem like a good opportunity to bring up a slightly older story that made headlines all across the world just a couple of years ago. This was a story about a person who was extremely sick, who was brought into the hospital, And according to the medical report, this person had a fungus growing in their blood. And this wasn't just some random airborne fungus that nobody's ever heard of or some case of athlete's foot gone wrong. This was actually Psilocybe cubensis, or the most commonly used species of magic mushroom. Spoiler alert, the headlines from this story, and there were lots of them, were mostly... Clickbait and kind of just an overly enthusiastic misrepresentation of the facts. Kind of like this one here, which says, A man injected himself with magic mushrooms... And the fungi grew in his blood, which put him into organ failure. Of course, they have this photo of Psilocybe cubensis. This is like the most widely used stock photo of all time. It seems like every article about this mushroom seems to use it. Uh, I kind of love that. So here's the basics. A 30-year-old man with bipolar disorder injected himself with magic mushrooms, which contain psilocybin in a failed attempt at a trip. Psychedelic mushrooms are meant to be eaten or drunk, not injected. That's true. (laughs) The mushroom grew in the man's bloodstream and caused his body to go into organ failure. This part, this is the part that was like really surprising. The mushroom grew in the man's bloodstream. That's what got everybody's attention. Um, He's being treated with long-term use of antifungals and antibiotics. So if we go over the article here, it talks about the background. Basically he made a tea with the mushrooms and then instead of drinking the tea, injected it into his veins. It goes on a little bit about the history and kind of why he was trying to treat himself with psilocybin. um, And also talks a little bit about how, you know, some of the research that's being done on psilocybin for some of these things. But here's another headline that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Doctors found mushrooms growing in the man's bloodstream. So with that kind of a headline, you picture like fruiting bodies growing inside of somebody somehow, which is a great headline. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Even this part here, it says a blood sample revealed something even more shocking. The mushrooms, which thrive in dark places, which the inside of us would be pretty dark, had begun to grow in the man's bloodstream, causing the aforementioned health issues. So again, if you know anything about how mushrooms grow, this article would kind of leave you with a lot of questions. You might be thinking, okay, well maybe his blood acted like a nutrient-rich broth and somehow the spores were able to sporulate and his blood became like kind of a liquid culture and there was mycelium growing inside of him. That would still be pretty crazy, but definitely wouldn't have mushroom fruiting bodies growing inside of him. Now here is the actual uh, scientific paper, or I guess it's a a pre-journal proof called a trip to the intensive care unit an intravenous injection of psilocybin. But this is the part that got all the headlines. It says here, cultures confirmed both bacterial and fungal infections. And for the fungal infections, it says ultimately cultured and DNA identified by a specialist as psilocybe cubensis. In other words, the species of mushrooms he injected was now growing from his blood. So not growing in his blood, it was growing from his blood and that's a super important distinction. So again, I highly doubt that he actually had mushrooms growing inside of them. What actually happened was he had, he happened to have spores inside of his bloodstream because he injected them in there. The spores were able to survive and when they cultured his blood out on a plate, those spores then sporulated, which was confirmed to be Psilocybe cupensis. This is still interesting to me, for sure. Like, spores are super tenacious in the fact that they could survive being made into a tea and then be injected intravenously. Some people say spores can even survive, like, space travel and all sorts of Uh, crazy conditions. That's just how mushrooms are able to reproduce and be around for so long. So that is pretty cool, but the real headline should have been something along the lines of spores from Psilocybe cubensis survived human intravenous injection, which is definitely not as good of a headline. Now, looking into this a little bit deeper, this whole idea of mycelium possibly growing inside of a living human, it has happened before. I found this paper about a coprinus species grow- that was found to be growing in somebody, or at least the mycelium of a coprinus species that was growing inside of somebody. They were getting a heart valve replacement and um, the, the surgeons found a thick filamentaceous fungus, otherwise known as mycelium, Uh, that was later found to be Coprinus sinarius, which is an inky cap mushroom that grows on lawns. And what's interesting here, and like why this is so notable is because inky caps, which you've probably seen, uh, they are considered a basidiomycetes, which basically means a mushroom that produces a fruiting body, which would not be typical at all to have the ability to infect humans. So it says right here in the paper, Basidiomycetes have very rarely been implicated in human or animal disease, presumably mainly because of their inability to grow at 37 degrees Celsius or the temperature inside of the human body. Basically, we are just too hot for mushrooms. Now that was all well and good until I came across this other article that was just published, which was basically saying something along the lines of, Mushrooms are adapting to warmer temperatures and that might increase their ability to be able to infect humans. Now this article, dangerous fungi are spreading across the U.S. as temperatures rise. Some fungi such as the type that causes valley fever might be adapting to endure more heat stress. This came out a couple days ago, like I said, off of the hype of The Last of Us. But to be honest, it doesn't really say much. It just kind of talks a lot about potential research or things that research might be suggesting or might be showing and that maybe could have some potential to increase mushrooms' ability to infect humans, But again, you know, I don't think there's too much of substance here. It's actually kind of a weirdly written article. It almost seems like it was written by AI or something like that. So for the record, well, well, first, nobody should be injecting psilocybin spores in their bloodstream. So let's get that out of the way. But nobody should be worried about mushrooms turning us all into zombies. Nobody should be worried about mushrooms growing inside of us, really. And nobody should be worried about mushrooms wiping out the human population anytime soon. Another really quick piece of mushroom news, and to be honest, this isn't much of a story, but I am so fascinated with this mushroom that when I saw this, I thought, I'm gonna need to share this. So this mushroom here is Amanita phylloides, otherwise known as the death cap. And what this new piece of science is suggesting is that the death cap's mushroom unusual sex life may be the key to its rapid spread. So this mushroom is showing up more and more in California and in British Columbia, and scientists think they might have discovered one of the reasons why that is the case. Now, first of all, why would we care if this mushroom is showing up all over the place? Is it an invasive species? What's really going on here? Well, Amnita Floides is... Probably the most deadly mushroom in the world. It contains deadly amatoxins. It's responsible for most of the cases of mushroom poisoning, serious mushroom poisonings, and deaths from mushroom poisonings. And even though it doesn't look like much, um, it's pretty powerful. It can really like shut down your liver and do all sorts of horrible things. We did do an entire video on that if you want to go check that out and learn about how this mushroom actually is poisonous to humans. But one of the reasons why people care is because when it's young, in its egg form, it actually does look like a different mushroom, an edible mushroom known as a vulvariella vulvaceae, otherwise known as the patty straw mushroom. So what happens is people might be walking through the woods, to look down and say, hey look, a patty straw mushroom, take it home, you know, cook it up, maybe feed it to their whole family. Turns out it wasn't the patty straw, it was actually this death cat mushroom, and that can be super bad. People get really sick and people die. So what this article is saying, without diving too deep into the science, is basically that this mushroom is able to mate with itself, obviating the need for a partner. So typically when mushrooms reproduce, they produce billions upon billions of spores, each one of those spores contains half the genetic information required to form a mushroom. So, really quickly, the mushroom life cycle, you know, each one of those spores will sporulate, produce something called hyphae, and those hyphae will grow when two compatible hyphae meet, that will form mycelium, which can form a fruiting body and start the whole mushroom cycle over again. We did do a video on the mushroom life cycle to explain this, so you can go ahead and watch that if you want to learn a little more about that. But What this article is suggesting is that Amanita phalloides, for whatever reason, is able to produce a fruiting body from a single haploid uh, mycelium. So basically, mycelium that is not two separate spores that are meeting and creating mycelium, but it's just one that is creating hyphae, creating its own mycelium and fruiting from there. So that goes a little deep into the science of how mushrooms grow. But again, basically, it's saying that they have some kind of weird reproductive cycle that we don't really fully understand yet that is allowing them to grow a lot more prolifically and a lot faster than they usually would. So we might be seeing a lot more death caps in the future. On to another type of Amanita. Now I posted this on Twitter not that long ago and it's a nice picture of a beautiful iconic mushroom and it just says, do you consider Amanita muscaria to be a magic mushroom? And it got a lot of response, a lot of engagement, a lot of people have an opinion on this super iconic mushroom, asking the question whether or not it's considered to be magical, or to considered to be a magic mushroom. Now, I believe that all mushrooms are magical in their own way, but the thing about Amanita muscaria is that it doesn't contain psilocybin, which is, of course, the compound found in what is commonly referred to as a magic mushroom. Amanita muscaria is getting a ton of attention lately, and that's for a number of reasons. Reasons such as it has a storied past. Its legal status is still pretty ambiguous. It does have psychoactive and potential therapeutic properties. It is one of the most iconic mushrooms of all time, yet we still don't really know that much about it. I wanted to investigate one potential therapeutic application of this mushroom, and that's whether or not it could be used for sleep. Let's roll the clip. Amanita muscaria, the fly agaric. It's likely the most iconic mushroom of all time. For example, type mushroom into your iPhone and the emoji that comes up is a representation of Amanita muscaria, the red one with the white dots. But strangely enough, even though it has cemented its place in our collective mushroom consciousness, we still don't really know much about it. The vast majority of mushroom books will tell you it's poisonous, but is it? Others consider it a magic mushroom, yet it contains no psilocybin. There is so much to discover about this mushroom, but in this video, I wanted to focus on a compelling potential as a functional mushroom and whether or not it can be useful for sleep. Okay, so it is 9.36 p.m. exactly, and uh, this is the first night of trying Amanita Muscaria for sleep, so I've got my Fitbit, which will be tracking my sleep, even though it doesn't track it perfectly. We'll at least get some data, and I've got an Amanita Muscaria tincture. 20 grams of dried Brazilian AAA grade Amanita Muscaria caps per 60 ml bottle. So I guess there's 333 milligrams of Muscaria per dropper. It's a super low dose. So I'm not gonna be like feeling any psychoactive effects from the mushroom, but in general, this mushroom is used for relaxation and sleep at low doses. So we'll see what kind of an effect it has. Saying Amanita is useful for sleep can be interpreted a few different ways because some Amanitas are deadly. Eating enough of them, specifically Amanita phylloides, also known as the death cap, could induce a permanent sleep. Some Amanitas will do neither, such as Amanita caesarea, which is just a good edible. Amanita muscaria is in a league of its own. It seems to blur the boundaries between edible, poisonous, and psychoactive depending on a number of factors. It grows in a symbiotic relationship with other trees, and because of its complex life cycle, it can't easily be cultivated, so it needs to be wild harvested. This can have a number of implications when it comes to its use as a functional mushroom, because it becomes harder to know exactly what the chemical makeup is, depending on where it comes from, what stage of growth it was when it was harvested, and perhaps most importantly, how it was prepared. So it is 10.26. Yeah, so it's been just over 45 minutes or so since I took the tincture and I do feel pretty tired. Like my eyelids feel heavy. And my, my eye muscles feel heavy, and I feel pretty sleepy. Sleep, sleepy. <laughs> I definitely feel something. Um, I feel very relaxed and very sleepy. How about you? I'm pretty tired too, but I did not have any, so. <laughs> okay. Well, there goes that. Using Amanita for therapy or altered states is nothing new. Historically, it was used by shamans in various rituals and ceremonies where it was believed to produce a trance-like state that helped connect the shaman to the spirit realm. Interestingly, Amanita has also been used as a stimulant. So what is really going on here? Well, it comes down to the compounds that are in the mushroom. There are two that are mostly thought to be responsible for the psychoactive effects and the potential other therapeutic benefits of this mushroom. Ibotenic acid and muscamol. Both of these compounds resemble others that are naturally found in our brain chemistry and thus can interact with certain neural pathways in the brain. Ibotenic acid is thought to be stimulating. Here's how that might work. It's similar to natural chemical in the brain called glutamate which activates nerve cells in the brain. When Ibotenic acid is consumed, it binds to the same receptors in the brain as glutamate and mimics its effects. This leads to an increase in the activity of nerve cells in the brain, causing a range of effects such as stimulation, excitement, and maybe even euphoria and hallucinations. Muscomol has the opposite effect. Here's how it works. Muscomol is similar in structure to a natural chemical in the brain called GABA. GABA is a neurotransmitter that helps to calm down the activity of nerve cells in the brain. When muscomol is consumed, it binds to the same receptors in the brain as GABA and amplifies its effects. This leads to a decrease in overall brain activity, causing a range of effects such as drowsiness and overall relaxation, which could lead to sleep. Keep in mind, again, dose is super important. At high doses, muscamol can cause hallucinations and even unconsciousness. A little bit more chemistry here, it's important to note that ibotenic acid is converted into muscamol through a process known as decarboxylation, which can be achieved through heating or drying of the mushroom. In other words, a thoroughly dried Amanita Muscaria will have much of its ibotenic acid converted into muscimol. Good morning. My hair's a little crazy. So tracking my sleep, I guess I had a pretty good sleep, but not great, like not amazing, not noticeably good. Um, And even if I look at the tracking on the Fitbit, it was just kind of fair. It did take me a little bit longer to fall asleep than usual, which is weird because I was super sleepy and super tired. Didn't have any crazy dreams or anything like that, but woke up feeling pretty good. It's just one night and you can't obviously come to any conclusions from one night. So I'm going to try it again tonight and probably again tomorrow and at least track it for a couple days and see if there is any impact of the Amanita for sleep. But again, for sure, like I felt sleepy last night after the Amanita. I don't think that was just placebo. I felt super tired. So I'm going to see if that happens again tonight. We'll see. With this very unscientific anecdotal experiment, if Amanita muscaria does in fact have a positive impact on sleep, falling asleep faster, sleep quality, all that good stuff. In Kevin Feeney's book, Fly Agaric, a Compendium of History, Pharmacology, Mythology, and Exploration, which is a great resource for anyone who's looking to understand this mushroom, there is a survey which includes anecdotal reports from 30 people, and many of them do attest to using this mushroom as a sleep aid. It's just a self-reported survey, not a full-on scientific study, but there is some interesting data. For example, one person reported, in small doses of chewed and swallowed dried cattle. I was able to fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. It increases my sleep pattern from the typical four to six hours to a full seven to nine hours of what I consider to be a good sleep. The same subject also reported that use of fly agaric has allowed me to avoid over-the-counter sleep aid and helped to limit my alcohol consumption. Kevin also notes though, based on traditional use of the fly agaric in Siberia to treat insomnia, I was somewhat surprised that the results here were not stronger. I guess this survey just underscores how little is still known about the potential therapeutic effects of this mushroom. All right, so it is 946. This is the second night of trying the Amanita muscaria tincture. One thing I did wanna mention though, on the bottle it says full spectrum muscaria extract with high muscamol from decarboxylation, leaving low ibotenic acid. So again, muscamol and ibotenic acid, these are the two compounds inside of this mushroom that might have effects and it's muscamol that is thought to be responsible for the relaxing and the sleep inducing effects. So this decarboxylation method, which increases the, uh, the content of muscamol would potentially improve the relaxing or sleep inducing properties of this extract. So what would be really cool, and I'm sure if you know this becomes somewhat of a functional mushroom and you start to see it everywhere, you're gonna see those levels of muscamol that are being tested for and that's what you might wanna look for if you're using it for this purpose. But again, this is super unscientific. This is just me trying a, a random extract. I have no idea how much muscamol is actually in there, but apparently it's gone through a decarboxylation process in order to increase that content of muscimol. So are there any safety concerns with this mushroom? If you consulted your field guide, you might find that it's listed as poisonous. And although you could argue that is true depending on your definition of poisonous, the reality is a little more nuanced. A review of 30 years of mushroom poisonings based on 2,000 reports in the North American Mycological Society case registry shows about 100 cases of poisonings from Amanita muscaria, but only one recorded death, which was not even a direct result of the mushroom. It does note, however, some other symptoms, some not a big deal like gastrointestinal distress or visual disturbances, something pretty common with any psychoactive, But also people have mentioned things like sweating, muscle spasms and convulsions, atrial fibrillation or rapid heart rate, and others. It also mentions deaths, but only in cats and dogs, so it's possible that animals have a lower tolerance to the compounds in this mushroom. I should also mention that one of the main compounds in Amanita muscaria, ibotenic acid, is often used in animal studies as a brain lesioning agent. Definitely not something that you would want. The thing to keep in mind though is that in these studies, high doses of ibotenic acid are injected directly into the brain. Not only that, but there is no proof that ibotenic acid can even get to the brain through digestion, with some suggesting that it breaks down in the stomach. If you want an entertaining read on this topic, there is a great article that Hamilton Morris did for Harper's Magazine where he thought he was testing a muscomol derivative for sleep, but then he found out it was actually ibotenic acid. What follows is an understandable concern for his brain. I'll link that in the description. Brain lesioning obviously is not something anyone would want, so it makes sense to be cautious here. The bottom line is that we really still don't know, so in that case I need to put a warning here. Do not eat this mushroom. Not only could it be potentially poisonous, depending on how it's prepared, identifying mushrooms, especially those in the Amanita genus, can be tricky. And as mentioned earlier, there are deadly mushrooms in this genus. The fact that it is being researched for some medical applications today, and that it does have a history of use, doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. So it has been about... 45 minutes, I feel unusually tired for this time of night. I mentioned it yesterday but very distinctly like there's a heaviness kind of around my eye muscles and I just feel a little bit sleepy, a little bit slower. We'll see if this has any effect on the actual sleep because last night it didn't seem to even though I felt really sleepy. But I think it's important to remember all the other things that we do that could have an effect on sleep. You know, if I was to spend the last half an hour working out or like, I don't know, getting a lot of blue light in my eyes from watching TV or being at the computer or something versus going in the sauna and reading a book. You know, Even without adding the Amanita muscaria, those two different bedtime routines could have a massive effect. Most of the research so far has been done on rodents, which although can show some promising results, is not directly able to be correlated to what effect it might have on humans. Here are some of the studies. One study conducted on mice found that administration of muscimol resulted in a significant increase in slow-wave sleep, which is a deep sleep stage associated with memory consolidation and rejuvenation. Another study found that muscimol can have an effect on sleep time in alcohol-dependent rats, decreasing the periods of active wakefulness and increasing the percentage of rapid eye movement sleep. But there is one company in Canada that is starting to look at research on humans using their own extract of Amanita muscaria called AME. They did a 90-day toxicity study on animals and found no observed adverse effect level, meaning they found no adverse events from administrating their extract. But from what I could find, there was no indication of what they tested that level up to. They also declared grass status, meaning generally regarded as safe, opening up the potential for them to start selling a tincture in the U.S. In 2022, Canada actually designated Amanita muscaria as a natural health product technically clearing the way for potentially having this mushroom to be sold in product form, but as far as I can tell, no products have actually received approval. Overall, the landscape for this mushroom is still a little bit muddy. I have seen products being sold in the US. When I was at Wonderland in Miami, for example, there was a company selling Amanita muscaria gummies. I have seen recent press releases of companies now selling Amanita gummies online. There was another store in Florida that got a lot of press coverage for selling Amanita Muscaria. They kind of billed themselves as the first legal magic mushroom dispensary, but it did eventually get a visit from the Department of Agriculture and they had to stop selling the mushroom. Still, we're likely going to continue seeing more and more of these products on the market as it all gets figured out. I think before Amanita Muscaria really takes the main stage as a therapeutic or functional mushroom, there will need to be some clarity on the legal status. Depending on where you live, it's not all that clear. For example, in Canada, it's a natural health product. In Australia, Muscomol is considered to be a schedule 9 drug, which is the same schedule as LSD, DMT, psilocybin, cannabis, and others. In the US, it seems to be legal with one exception being Louisiana, where State Act 59 took some broad strokes to outlaw any type of cultivation, possession, or sale of 40 different hallucinogenic plants. Everywhere else, it seems to be more ambiguous. Historically, it has been sold not for human consumption, which always seemed a little goofy to me. Today, the main problem I see with marketing and selling Amanita is conflating it with psilocybin mushrooms. I have seen a lot of marketing selling Amanita muscaria as legal magic mushrooms, of course, with magic mushrooms being the term that people often associate with psilocybin-containing mushrooms. It's just a little insincere and might cause confusion. These two mushrooms, psilocybe mushrooms that contain psilocybin and amanita mushrooms that contain muscimol, are two completely different things and should be thought of in completely different ways. The most important thing, as always, is education. As we learn more about this mushroom, the more educated everyone can become and the more people can make their own informed decisions. Okay, so that's three nights now that I've used the amanita. And again, last night uh, I felt pretty sleepy after the amanita tincture, but I really don't think it had any effect on my sleep. I don't actually felt like I slept good at all. Uh, It looks like I was awake a lot, kind of restless. So again, it's really hard to say. I don't know, like I'm sure Amanita Muscaria helps with maybe making people feel calm or sleepiness, but I think at the end of the day, there's way too many factors that play into sleep. And there's so many other things that are just as important, if not maybe even more important, such as your stress levels and how much caffeine you had during the day and how much sunlight and all this other stuff. So. Like anything else in life, human physiology is complicated and what causes you to have a good sleep, there's a lot of different factors to it. And I'm not sure adding one of them, like Amanita, uh, is gonna have a major effect. Now, this of course can vary. I mean, maybe I didn't have enough dose. Maybe the extract didn't have enough Muscomol. I think there's enough history and enough science behind it to make it a reasonable thing to investigate. And I think maybe other people obviously do have Luck with it, and maybe it is worth it. But I just, you know, anecdotally, this particular tincture uh, is not really doing it for me for sleep. But I still think this mushroom has a lot of potential for to be used as a functional mushroom for that purpose. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, there is so, so much more that I want to investigate with this mushroom, and I'm sure we'll be getting into that at a later date. But in the meantime, I really do think that sleep is one of the most interesting therapeutic potentials of this mushroom and probably something we're gonna be hearing the most about over the coming months and years. But I should also note that there are other mushrooms that aren't as controversial as Amanita that are also used as sleep. One of which is reishi, this one here. And in a weird way, they kind of look alike, even though they're completely different mushrooms. But reishi is a functional mushroom It's known as the mushroom of immortality or as the spirit mushroom, which kind of has this calming spirit. And it has been used and it has been studied for sleep, for calming, for relaxation. And that's because of the compounds inside, specifically the triterpenes, which have been studied in mouse models anyways to have a hypnotic effect. Now, hypnotic effect sounds like hyperbole, you're not gonna be hypnotized by reishi, but in the literature, it just basically means that it kind of has a sleep inducing or relaxing effect. And that's why a lot of people use this mushroom to kind of unwind at the end of the day or to help get deeper, uh, better sleep overall. And again, that's because of the triterpenes that are inside of this mushroom. Now reishi is bitter um, and you can't really just eat it. It's kind of like rock hard but it's often found in extract powders or in capsules or in tinctures or sometimes in other kind of like teas and relaxation products that help with relaxation. And it's not just reishi, there's other functional mushrooms that have been studied for sleep. One of them is cordyceps, actually, which we talked about at the start of the show. But cordyceps is often thought of as the energy mushroom or the performance mushroom. So it's not going to help you like fall asleep or wind down at the end of the day, but it has been studied to help with uh, realigning circadian rhythms, so it's been studied in mouse models, anyways, for things like jet lag or you know time changes or shifts in in time change. It can help people more easily adjust to those time changes. So if you're traveling, you know, or you are really affected by the seasonal time changes uh, in the spring and the fall due to daylight savings time, well, cordyceps might be able to help you more easily adjust to that. And there's some interesting research that's been done on that. We did a whole video on that topic, which talks about reishi, cordyceps, and lion's mane, actually, for sleep. So if you wanna dive into that research a little bit, you can go ahead and watch that video. Now, if you're still watching, if I haven't put you to sleep yet, now might be a good time to mention that The Mushroom Show is brought to you by Fresh Cat Mushrooms, where we do have a reishi, which is used often for sleep, But we also have all sorts of other functional mushrooms that are used for everything from immunity to energy to focus and mood. Basically, no matter what your health goal, there's very likely a functional mushroom that can help you get there. Look for FreshCap on Amazon or head over to freshcap.com where you can use the code THEMUSHROOMSHOW to get 10% off your first order. So that's it for this episode of The Mushroom Show. Thank you so much for watching. If you do like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, please go ahead and hit that like button. Help the YouTube algorithm get this show out to more people. And if you want to see future episodes, feel free to subscribe. We're so grateful to have you here. I should also mention that if you're on Twitter, be sure to hit me up on Twitter. is at Fresh Cap Tony. Spent a lot of time there just kind of interacting with the mushroom community doing research for the show and all sorts of other stuff so if you want to hang out between episodes of the mushroom show be sure to go follow me there. So thanks again for watching and we'll see you in the next one.